0: My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up.
1: This week on Meet 3, we continue our trade series with a piquant look at the many faces of the spice trade, from the high price tag of saffron to the ubiquity of chilies, and the potential ripple effect that farmer protests in India may have on the global spice market.
2: You know, farmers are, are protesting because they feel like their lives and livelihoods are on the line.
1: You find it in a lot of cured foods like cured meat and Parmesan cheese. Um, you also find it in ripening foods like ripe tomatoes are very high in uh, MSG. So there's sources of it all over the natural world. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello and welcome to Why Food, a podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, and career changers. I'm your co-host, Ethan Frisch.
1: And I'm your co-host, Valerie Lomas.
2: And today we have a a local hero in our virtual studio. Uh, Paige Lopari is the owner and cook of Archistratus Books and Foods in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Paige, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun.
2: So I have to dive in with uh, a question about your bio, which you, you sent me uh, to share as part of our show notes. Um, and you had an amazing quote that uh, I thought was just beautiful and resonated very specifically with uh, something I have felt for a long time. Um, you, you referred to your business as a collaborative durational art project. uh, which I, I just love it. Um, what, talk about that a little bit. What does that mean? And and what does that mean for you?
3: Well, I think that, I think that I, you know, it's, it's a little funny, it's a little silly and it's a little serious. (laughs) (laughs) It's, and it's also like, I just, I just feel like, um, I, I, I've never been, uh, I've never come at this business and as this store. I've never thought of it as, um, as solely a business, it very much has always been coming from this place of like needing to make it and needing to do it, kind of like how people approach, uh, you know, maybe making a painting or writing a poem. Like I just felt deep inside that I kind of like needed to do this thing. Um, and so I've always felt like it was, it was, uh, it was okay to, to be a person in business and to be a business owner that is also like a human person and um, someone that is not just kind of thinking of the bottom line, but thinking with the senses and thinking with the palette that I have and, and kind of also thinking about like the people that become part of the space as soon as you know you let people into it because I, I always wanted a space, you know And so a space is something that you know people walk into. So it becomes immediately collaborative and ideas happen and, you know, things kind of spin into reality. So um, there is something durational about it. There's something collaborative about it. There's something arty about it. Um, And that's kind of what that has kept me interested in the space and interested in uh, continuing the store is, that that aspect of it the community aspect of it the human and creative aspect of it um for me it's it's something that can always keep changing because of those things and so that's why i love i want to keep keep going with it and keep continuing with it
2: yeah i i love that uh framing and and one of the things that i have always loved about your business and and your space both literally physically and and metaphorically is that it uh, it really resists neat definition, right? Like mm-hmm. you're a bookstore, but you are also you also carry all kinds of really interesting food products. Plus, you have a little sort of I, I wouldn't call it a restaurant space exactly, but you have a kitchen in the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, you bake amazing things. I mean, you've got a grocery section. Um, is that was that the original concept of of the store when you when you first started thinking about it and, and decided to open it or or has it evolved, or I guess to what extent has it evolved over time?
3: It's definitely become more and more the vision of what I wanted. Um when I first when I first started, when I first wrote my business plan in like 2013, I it was always going to be sort of half cafe, I actually was calling it a cafeteria at that point. Like I wanted a Sicilian cafeteria and half um, food interest bookstore. And so the idea was that like these two things, um, there's this kind of osmosis where like you are reading the books and you become appetized. And so then you like go buy a cookie or like you eat a Sicilian food in the cafe or something interesting in the cafe. And like you get inspired to then like go look at a book and start cooking um, something. So there's always this, this concept of, of that, that books and foods were in conversation with one another. Um, And also I had, I definitely wanted to do events. I always wanted, you know, community, a community space and community aspect to the store. But, um, you know, when I first started, I had never done anything like this before. I mean, I'd worked in bookstores. Like I definitely had experience, but I had never worked in a cafe Um, very briefly worked in a cafe, like it it doesn't count. (laughs) Like it was a few months, you know what I mean? Um, But I had this like, insane kind of, I'm doing this anyway, kind of drive. And so when I it's definitely started much smaller, you know, with just a few things in the cafe. And that aspect has grown tremendously and is now more of like the vision that I've that I saw, which was more Sicilian cheeses in our, you know, in our refrigerator and like having like a lot of different pantry items. So it's just slowly over time evolved. And I think that um, like what's what's really what really has grown in a way that I didn't uh, anticipate is just like the community and my response to the community and their response to me, which is just that I I try to do sort of whatever feels right <laughs> and what feels good, and and I, I I hope then that other people enjoy it. And so the Venn diagram of like what I think is really cool and what people think is really cool, and that where we cross over, like that's our <laughs> Yeah, well, <and laughs> that's,
2: that's you so, know that comes across so clearly. And I think uh, this is another thing that I I just love about your business is. You know, I feel like so many entrepreneurs and so many b- businesses these days. Is, I mean, the, I'm talking like I'm 100 years old, but these days <laughs> businesses are so data driven, right? Like, what does the customer yeah. want, and what does our website say, and and uh, you know, where are people coming from, and how are we, how much are we spending on this versus making on that, and and uh, what strikes me so clearly about your business is that that personal um, vision and voice and and sense of of uh, yeah, it really coming from you in a in a more artistic, more creative, more sort of generative way, rather than responding to, uh, responding to, you know, what, what customers might be looking for, what, what market or what the market or, right. or data is telling you to do.
3: Yeah. I think that I've just kind of, I mean, I, I think that's just kind of, I couldn't do this, uh, this thing, this incredibly sort of time consuming labor of love if it wasn't also feeding me, and I know that that sounds sort of selfish, but it's also the thing that, that keeps it going. Like, I think I just kind of, I come from a family of musicians and like actors and, and people that are really, um, creative. And so I've just grown up with this more of an artistic temperament. Um, and I think that, that, that it need it needs to sort of feed me back And for me, that means kind of listening to my intuition and following my interests and just kind of um, also the satisfaction of service. And so it's not just this kind of, you know, um, self involved (laughs) prophecy. I also really love like the idea that someone comes in and they're like, oh, I really need vanilla beans. And then I'm like, this old Sicilian woman that's like, I can't wait to get vanilla beans for you. Let me go get vanilla beans. So it's like, it's driven by, by, by me and my, um, my creative interests, but then also this sort of feeling of wanting to take care of people. And so I think that that is maybe what this—it's all meshed up um, to mesh together at this point. Does that make sense? I feel like I ran on
2: a little. I mean, bit there. It, it does because uh, it does because I know your your business, but I guess people will just have to go in and and see what you're doing and talk to you. For your, uh... <laughs> yeah,
1: and I I don't think that's selfish at all. I think that's really <laughs> just you have a sustainable business model in the sense that like you are doing something that not just feeds you, but also feeds your community. And, um, I think it was like really interesting what you were saying about like, you know, you have this vision always to like essentially curate the space and, you know, in New York city, I think space is, it's always like seen at a premium Mm -hmm. and to have like any kind of space that feels special or that you can like gather or be like a hub for the community. Um, I would love to know, like, what was your thought process in choosing your location? So, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you have the space inside of the building, but then it's also like it exceeds beyond the building
3: and the community. So, like, how
1: did how did you choose your location?
3: Oh, and just like the idea of it exceeding beyond the building is totally the goal it's like you know it's like you watch a film and the revolution happens after the film and like that's the goal for a lot of filmmakers and I feel like the store itself is like people meet each other and then they forge friendships and then all these other things come from those relationships that you know that happen after and beyond the store and like for me that's the most satisfying thing but um to about location. I, I definitely, um, looked, I took a year, it took me a year (laughs) to find a space. Um, I, I took a year and I wrote my business plan and then I was like, okay, I'm going to find a space. And then I went all over New York and it was unbelievable. The real estate industry, this commercial real estate industry is absolutely bonkers insane. And so I really like, you know, almost signed a few leases and then, and I went all over. I started out in, in, um, Prospect Heights because that's where my my family is right now. Um, My dad is. And I was living there at the time while I was looking for this space. And I was like, let me try Prospect Heights. And then it was way too expensive. And I just started, you know, at some point I was in the East Village. And then I was like, you know, I really, I don't know why I haven't looked at Greenpoint. And then I, I went up to Greenpoint. And also I had a best friend that lived there for ten years, so I had I've seen Greenpoint for more than fifteen years now, and how it's changed, um, and the kind of community that also that what's remained, like this kind of feeling of just a na- relaxed kind of neighborhoody vibe, um, a small town vibe that is kind of hard to come by sometimes in New York, um, especially as Brooklyn becomes more and more and more gentrified and more populated. Uh, Greenpoint definitely still feels like it's, there's, there's something, especially north of Greenpoint Avenue, you bump into people all the time. It's like, (laughs) we're this little area and we're almost, we're basically waterlocked. We're like this little archipelago. And so we are just running around in circles and bumping into one another. Um, And so I, when I saw the space, it was on one hand, sort of this trifecta of, you know, neighborhood, um, the space itself wasn't a complete, terrifying, overwhelming mess um, that I had to, you know, build out and my landlords and they were really normal. The space was really clean. And I was like, I love Greenpoint. What am I doing? Why haven't I, <laughs> I thought I was priced out, but it turns out I wasn't that it actually at that moment was pretty reasonable. Um, And so that's why I chose Greenpoint. And then as soon as I did, I was like, this is the, this is like the only neighborhood I want to live in. (laughs) I love this neighborhood so much and I never want to leave. Um, And I think that, you know, I also didn't really want to, I wanted to be in Brooklyn for sure. I'm from Brooklyn. And uh, to some extent I moved here when I was 15, but, um, but I had been here since I was 15. So I wanted to be in Brooklyn. Um, And I also just felt like there, there was no, you know, there's no cookbook shop in Brooklyn and there were so many people that are up in love with food and are huge foodies. Um, you know, so there was, it just felt like the right, uh, that there was a market for it, I guess, but just that it, it also just felt right.
2: Um, I just, since we're on the topic of, of your early days in business, I have to ask about the rainbow cookies, which oh, yeah. I think was the first, that was how I first came across you. Right. When you opened, you got a bunch of press for your, for your, uh, rainbow cookies. So I, I want yeah. to ask you both about how you make them, but also, Oh yeah. Uh, any thoughts on the <laughs> the cultural phenomenon of the rainbow cookie?
3: Oh my goodness. Well, I so I the first year that we opened, it was 2015, and I guess January 2016 is when New York Magazine like comes out with their best of issue, like all the the uh what's it called? The underground, you know, Robin and Robin. Um and we got best cookies. <laughs> which was, which was like, so for me out of nowhere, like these were cookies that I would, that I had developed and absolutely like my friends and family and extended friends told me that they loved and were quite good, but truly like I never professionally baked before. Um, and they were just cookies that i sort of developed the recipes and then would um, give them to my friends at Christmas. And so that was like the first cookie menu at the store um, and so, rain- the rainbow cookies—the way that I make them—is I just always felt like they were very one-note, like very much an almond extract, almond paste uh, flavor, which I do love. Like I do love something that is like super almondy and marzipan And I feel like you know, you go to France, and there's a lot of pastries like this, but there's still something very delicious and sophisticated and balanced. I had about it about those those pastries. I feel like in the US sometimes um, things are too sweet or uh, the almond paste or the almond extract isn't of like a good quality they're not using good ingredients so i always felt like rainbow cookies were like pretty one note even though i always loved them <laughs> because i think the chocolate and the and the acidity of the raspberry with the almond like that's just like, such an amazing combination that's of flavors so good. So and <laughs> so so the way that i make them was just to sort of make me like them more. Um, I wanted to like them more. And so I added, um, well, first of all, I make homemade almond paste. Uh, so that's, I think adds, adds something. Um, and then also on each layer, there's a different flavor. And so I add raspberry, um, fresh raspberries into the, uh, pink layer. And I add, a uh, fresh roasted pistachios in the green layer and some uh, lemon zest, Meyer lemon zest in the yellow layer. And so when you taste the rainbow cookie, and also I do like a uh, really good dark, dark chocolate and apricot preserves and then some sea salt on top, which or Maldon salt rather, um, which I just, I kind of love salt. Like we all love salt <laughs> with our, with our desserts. And I'm not uh, immune to the delicious uh, adding salt on top of a cookie or on top of a, rainbow cookie um so yeah so i just um tried to make it a, like a little bit more uh subtle and complex and uh more v- just varying you know the flavor a little bit besides besides it just being an almond flavor
2: and and why like what what place does a rainbow cookie occupy in the in the the sort of american dessert lineup or why why are they a thing where did they come from
3: for me they're just they're part of, the, I'm Italian, so I grew up with, like, the classic Italian tray of cookies, like, <laughs> busted out at the end of every uh, get-together. Of course, like, this was more the Italian-American side. Like, if I was with my Italian, like, my Nona side, it would be like, we'd have, like, f- we'd be eating fennel and, like, fruit <laughs> for dessert and then maybe, like, some biscotti. But the Italian-American side, my mom's side more so, um, you know, you always bust out. These like cookie platters with rainbow cookies, um, pinoli cookies, uh, just like all all different colorful, usually like highly sweet, filled with confectioner sugar. Usually, some shitty ingredients, and this is not judgment. This is just like fact. <laughs> like I like them. I like these cookies, but there's not great quality ingredients um, most of the time. And so it's just that's so it's always for me. It's like a rainbow cookie was always there in in those in those uh, cookie trays. Um, and I feel like they've had obviously a renaissance in the last five years since I started making them at the store. I feel like a lot of people are kind of getting into it and making them really interesting.
1: Yeah, I think I think all cookies have had a renaissance in Mm -hmm. recent years. Mm -hmm. And I feel like your process of explaining to us how you developed and and how you developed your recipe is so it's so fascinating because you just took something that you loved and you made it so that you loved it even more. And I feel like that is like. I don't know. It's that's the recipe for like a great recipe or how to develop a great recipe. <laughs> and um thank you for the little history about the rainbow cookies because I am not a native New Yorker. I'm from Louisiana and I don't even think I really ever even tasted a rainbow cookie before moving to New York. Oh wow. And I yeah, and I I clearly needed to come back to your bookstore because I have to admit, I ha- I definitely haven't tasted any like ones that made me want to have another one.
3: Sure, sure, <laughs> I get it, I get it.
2: They're they're really they're one of my favorite. I mean, I grew up I grew up on the Upper West Side eating rainbow cookies at the Hungarian pastry shop. Uh, oh, yum! And yeah, just like such a such a sense memory. Um, let's take a quick break. Uh, we will be back in two minutes. Stay with us.
0: My name is Sarah Kim and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I'm able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected. And I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to Cheeselandia.com.
2: And we're back, our guest this week is Paige Lapari, owner and cook of Arcistratus Books and Foods. Um, Paige, uh, I don't know how to frame this. I feel like this is a question that um, entrepreneurs often get asked, but I don't often find an entrepreneur who I truly want to know the answer to this question. <laughs> uh, and, and the question is, how do you do it all? Because you do you do so much between running the bookstore, running the grocery, doing all of the cooking and baking. Plus, you have you have my favorite social media presence on Instagram. Full that. stop. Uh, <laughs> how, how do you do it
3: all? Well, the I will say that a few people recently have said complimented the social media, and and that's truly just the easiest thing for me. I know that people sort of think a lot about their content and they really like that it's important. It's a huge part of our, our business. And at some point I just went, can I curse on this? <laughs> I can, can I curse on this program or no?
2: Oh yeah, sure. Go for it. Oh,
3: I said – fuck it. Um, I, was <laughs> like, I mean, I often say fuck it. Like I think from day one, I said, fuck it. Like I'm actually not giving myself enough credit because I'm very much fuck it when it comes to like anybody telling me like, I have, you have to do this. You have to take this path. You have to, you know, even from the beginning, like I didn't have experience doing this. I think that I was like pretty, it was pretty, pretty much like i'm doing it anyway like i don't you know and, and i feel like with, with the social media it's very much like there's a way to do it and i i don't i could not i can't i just can't do it <laughs> that way so the way that i do it is that i just do what i'm already doing and i just try to document it so it's like if i'm having a a, a strange uh, thought which happens a lot then i post that <laughs> I'm, if I'm cooking something uh, and I'm sort of talking to myself and I'm laughing at my own jokes alone, then I'll just post that, you know? And so I think that um, the social media, like, is just something that is along for the ride. We're just along. that's just something that's just happening while I'm doing everything else. Um, and I definitely uh, think that I you know i do a lot i also have an incredible staff i definitely have help in the kitchen which is amazing like i think you know when i first opened i was truly cooking every single thing and that was actually insane like i think back to those days and i'm like how did i cook literally everything every day while running the business and i was like oh well Like, you know, maybe the business didn't grow until you actually stopped doing that (laughs) and got some help and then started doing, spending some time in these other areas. Um, I often think about everything as absolutely a balancing act. And I mean that with like everything in life. So it's like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm also like making music right now because like that's part, that's a part of all of this that has to be fed. Um, you know, there's different, there's different areas, um, that need to be fed. So it's like curating the books and cooking and thinking, uh, I'm also, (laughs) I can't reveal this here, but I'm also working on a giant expansion project that I can't really go into, but we're expanding. So I'm working on that. And so it's just kind of, um, not lingering, just kind of, uh, using a lot of, this is going to, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit and this is going to sound a little weird, but like just getting better at following my intuition and think when you do that, things come really quickly. Um, so it's like, I'm kind of jumping around doing these all, all these different things, but I feel kind of like somewhat, of course I get bogged down and stressed out like anybody else, but somewhat light because I know that you can't like If I thought about all that I was doing at one time, like I couldn't do it, so I try to just be present, but then move on. Is this making sense at all? Yeah. (laughs) Like I just try to okay.
2: (laughs) Well, I think I mean this. This sort of gets takes us back to where we started this conversation, right? Like the the overlap between between entrepreneurship and and art, right? To what extent are you following a, a gut instinct or? Your mm-hmm. heart, or just doing things that you think are fun and interesting and and challenging, yeah. Um, and and it's so rare to find entrepreneurs who are who are approaching their businesses in that way as wholeheartedly as you are, and and with so uh, so much I don't know so much pride about it. Most people like if if you know like I try to approach it like that, but sometimes I feel like even I have I I have to kind of temper it with well we're doing this because. I think it's the right thing to do and I want to do it, but also here's all the data, the evidence to show this is the right thing to do for the business, blah, blah, blah. And Really, I'm just, I'm coming up with that data to justify doing something that I already wanted to do anyway. Totally. Uh, So, so I, I just appreciate how, how, uh, (laughs) how, how unreserved you are in, in taking that approach.
3: Yeah. And I also like, am thinking about, you know, all the stuff that i i think actually the biggest part of this whole thing it's like oh you do so much right that's very thank you I appreciate that i'm glad it looks that way there's so much I don't do there's so yeah, much yeah. that goes wrong there's so much I never get to there's so many things I want to still do and it I think that actually the trick is maybe being able to let all that go like that's that's why it feels light because I'm just like oh that didn't work out all right keep going yeah. <laughs> like you know <laughs> what i mean like I'm just i you have to like constantly you have to just kill all your darlings and just kind of like let things go all the time and um i har- i hardly hold on to anything like i just try to keep my relationships with my staff healthy and like keep things in the store fed that need to be fed so like the books and the foods and eventually the events and just try to keep things fed but there's just there's so much that doesn't um that doesn't happen
1: <laughs> i i think that's such a great point about Being an entrepreneur and learning like one, how to best utilize your strengths and make them work for you. So like your current like social media strategy, like whether or not you might want to call it a strategy, but like you made something (laughs) that worked for you. And that's why it's like working in general, which I think is like super important. But then also like, like as entrepreneurs and i don't like I'm, i don't know if this is unique to like foodpreneurs because it's it, for some reason it feels like being an entrepreneur in the food industry is like so people are wearing so many hats but yeah. um but like like you said like making sure that like you feed what needs to be fed and other stuff like the ball is going to get dropped sometimes Things are not going to go perfectly sometimes. And you said you just let it go. And I think that's like what so many of us are (laughs) working on is to have that mentality. And I think that just takes it back to this idea of having a sustainable business model. Um, Because you might go crazy. Otherwise, if you are fixating on everything that might not have worked out exactly how you thought it would.
3: Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, yes. And I, I kind of, when I, we, the first year that I'm just like kind of having all these memories <laughs> flooding back to the first year that we opened and just throwing everything at the wall and trying it in this way where I was just like, like, you know, it's not like five years in it's like I feel like five years in like I kind of know to some extent what works and what doesn't work but man that was a process like I I really like the first year we did all kinds of events and you know from like community drawing nights to like uh variety shows to like film screenings and you know just in just that aspect of the store like that we tried so many different things and a lot of things like you know, hardly anybody came. <laughs> and so it's just a, you just have to like, try things and see what feels good, try stuff on and like, you know, don't be afraid to fail. Like, don't be afraid to let stuff go. Don't be afraid to fail. Um, Don't be afraid to fail publicly. Um, Because I think that you're the only one that has a, a long, like a long memory of that stuff. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> but most of the time, I think that people, uh, we all are, you know, just living our lives and, <laughs> and, and, and people are afraid to sort of try things because they're worried that of how it will look. And I just think it's okay to be a human in business. I think it's okay to make a mis, make uh, good mistakes and try things. And co- as long as you're kind of coming from this place of the sort of center of the business, like as long as It sort of follows the core of the business. Then I think you're you're safe that you're okay at the end of the day. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? (laughs) That's the end of every response. Does that make sense? I I love that. (laughs) But I have a question. I know you said
1: it's okay to make good mistakes, but like, what about bad mistakes?
3: Well, yeah, I think that those are (laughs) the hardest ones. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, but those are. (laughs) Some of us entrepreneurs are also making bad mistakes. (laughs) Those are like, those are, I mean, those are, I think that those you also have to let go, but man, that's a big gulp. You know, like you have a big gulp and you feel it. And it's definitely, um, you know, because I'm just thinking of like all the financial mistakes that I've made (laughs) and all the like wrong people that I hired and had to fire. And I think that, um, But again, like I had to fire them, you know, like I have, you have to fire people, like you have to like eat it sometimes, like, you know, financially, like, and um, it's not like you forget, like you... I think that it's, you can't not think about why it happened. You have to kind of go, okay, what, what happened? Like, okay, I made this, okay, I hired this person because I made this, I was hiring them out of fear. I was hiring them out of a fear that I wasn't able to do this thing. And so then they were sort of like filling this, this thing that I didn't have confidence in myself about doing. That's just actually never works. Like, (laughs) You can absolutely hire people because they're skilled at things that you that you that you you know need help with. But I think that when you're afraid that you can't do something and you sort of rely and trust the intuition of another person, like that never really works out. So it's like it's just kind of like going back and going, okay, why did I why did I make that decision? Where did that come from? And then like learn from that rather than like making the mistake again. Does that make sense? <laughs> I'm going to do that every time. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> It does it does make sense? <laughs> it's like
2: processing yes. it, you know. You have to processing. process
1: it. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I have found in as an as an entrepreneur is that you um, you have you have to face your mistakes. You don't. It's very yeah. rare that you get a pass. You make a mistake mm-hmm. and and nobody notices or nobody pays attention. Like that that has not really happened to me. Like every time I've made a mistake, I get called on it yeah. by right? by the business, yeah. by my customers, by the system, totally. by other people I've hired yeah. or companies i yeah. are working with.
1: DM'd, yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So yep. so it,
2: it creates this <laughs> system of accountability that I think doesn't exist in other industries or other worlds. Like so you, personal you to, too. Yeah,
3: yeah exactly. Real <laughs> <exactly>. personal.
1: <laughs> Very <laughs> personal. Don't have somebody like eating or cooking something that is not right. Right. Because, oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, so I, I did want to make sure we touched briefly on on the connection between entrepreneurship and, and art. Like what are your yeah. observations or, or reflections? How how has your career as a business owner been driven or or affected by your previous career as an artist?
3: Well, I definitely so I I definitely started the business um from a place of uh how I was sort of how I sort of look at the world. And that definitely came into a sort of solidified formation when I was at college. And I um, always felt like there, and this is now I feel like incredibly common, but you know, 15 years ago, a little bit less so, just the idea of, of interdisciplinary connections between all the arts. So it's like my, um, my major was called arts in context. I studied at the new school and i think this all spawned from i actually went to act high, high school uh for acting like i went to one of those performing arts uh special schools in in uh, the city and i never i knew i didn't want to be an actor at, like when i was graduating and going into college and i'll never forget like i went to this audition i think i won't name the school but it was i don't remember and so i was in this audition and they were asking me questions like um you know why do you want to be an actor and all these like you know deep questions, and then I was like, Well, um, you know, I also want to minor. I said something like, Not answering this question, but at some point in the conversation, I said, I also want to minor in creative writing, and then I got this huge speech, um, from I guess one of the acting teachers saying, You can't minor in creative writing, this is an uh this is, uh, you have, if you want to be an actor, like you only do acting, like you eat, drink, sleep, breathe acting. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever (laughs) heard in my life. Like I came out of there, like, I don't under, I, I want to learn everything. And I think that everything informs everything. And also like, what's the difference between like acting and painting and writing. And I just very much came out like I feeling like my brain didn't quite compute the, that part of the adult academic world. And so um, when I, when I ended up at the new school and I, I, they had this major called arts in context. And so basically what I studied was the connections between poetry, music, and art and form and content and just talking about them with the same words. So it's like minimalism in art in a, a painting minimalism in, in poetry, minimal, you know, it's, Pretty simple, but also it kind of gave me the idea for the store, which was that like looking at, at food, um like just looking at it with with all of these different categories. So looking at the world through food. So the idea of it being a general bookstore, but where every category was about food um excited me like deeply. (laughs) So it's like, you know, we have a fiction section and we have a travel section and we have a, a gender studies section, but it's all food related. So, um, that first off, like that kind of, uh, is where I think maybe the art, the durational collaborative art project kind of began. Um, and yeah, I, I so I approached everything that way. Um, sorry, my cat is like attacking me right now. <laughs> that's why I'm getting very distracted. Hold on, I'm gonna pick him up. Okay, you might hear some strange sounds. Um, okay, so, anyways, and you know, I I so yeah, I've lost my train of thought. Yeah,
2: that's, that's great. <laughs> and a perfect segue to. <laughs> our uh final segment um we'll ask you some some fun questions cool and then, <laughs> Val, you want to start should i start
1: favorite <laughs> genre of music to listen to <gasps> oh my
3: god that is so hard um <laughs> oh my god okay uh uh my my gut um like malagasy music music from madagascar <laughs>
1: Oh my God. That's so fascinating. Okay. And I apologize for, because we just had this great discussion about like not being put into a box. And the first question I ask you is
3: like putting (laughs) music into a box, but like, no, it's okay.
1: How did you even discover Madagascar music?
3: So in college, I studied a lot of um, like, this is kind of an annoying term, but world music. And you know, one of my one of my teachers was uh, this incredible musician Jerry Hemingway, and he introduced me to it. And it's music from Madagascar is first of all the instruments are absolutely beautiful. Like I have this instrument at home called a valia, and it's it's basically like a bamboo cylinder, and it has all these strings on the side, and you pluck around it with both of your hands, and it makes a really beautiful sound. But anyways the music is so melodic and so gentle and incredibly pleasurable to listen to like their sense of melody, uh, like as a country, like a lot of the songs are played at, you know, I'm talking about like the traditional music, um, that is, that are played at like weddings and funerals and other ritual, uh, life rituals. It It's just like very gentle, beautiful, um, incredibly poppy in a way. Cause they're so catchy. Um, Kind of music, so yeah, that's that's my that would be my music. <laughs> that's how I found it.
2: I love it. <laughs> um, how about is there something that you sell at the store, either a book or or food that you love, but other people have not uh, found that same love for that that everybody else is missing out on?
3: Ooh, ooh. Well, ah, so I. Yeah, I guess I tend to maybe bring in very strange novels (laughs) to the store um, that are a little bit more like I think that the one of the things that has been a little bit trickier to reconcile as far as like the customer that comes in versus like my exact personal taste of stuff is the fiction section because the fiction section is very particular. Um, It's, and it's kind of like more where I came from working at literary magazines and just like working more in poetry. So I have stuff from like new directions and Dalkey archive and just like stuff that's like, can be pretty, pretty out there, and so um, I try to bring in like fiction that is more popular, that is totally food related, that I'm still excited about. But there's a, a good chunk of that stuff that's been there since I ordered it <laughs> that I can't <laughs> seem to part
2: with. Is there, is there one novel that that people should buy from you that that uh, Ooh. really stands out?
3: Well, um. I, we just read, um, my God. Oh my God, my brain. Well, actually, oof. Oh my God, I keep thinking of everything that's not fiction. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, I have stuff from authors that I really love. There's, like, things from, well, there's things from Raymond Quineau. Like, we have this novel, The Blue Flowers. There's... um, There's, uh, there's, there, there are a few that I'm, that I'm like, okay, is that, that has to still be there. It's probably still there. (laughs) There's, there's, well, one, one thing that, that people, uh, that I really love is this book called, um, and this is not fiction, but it's related. It's my dinner with Orson Welles and it's interviewed by the interviewer is, um, Henry Jaglum, who's like one of my favorite directors that this is reminding me of um, of something else that didn't work out which is I remember I played one of Henry Jaglin's films this film called Eating at the Store and literally like everybody walked out of it <laughs> like everybody like I played this film and nobody stayed there were like three people that. Why? What
2: was what was so offensive about it?
3: I don't know. I think it just wasn't people's sense of humor. He's like the Woody Allen of L.A. I'm not the not the gross stuff. The the sort of humor stuff. He's um he's he's he, I don't know. It's just like a very straight to camera kind of comedy, and I guess people just didn't they didn't like it. They didn't like it. So that's like another thing that didn't work out. <laughs> it was, it was that film? Um, eating by Henry Jaglum everyone should check it out it's great <laughs> all right
1: uh, one more question we'll make it a little bit easier on you I know I'm um, having
3: such a hard time with these
1: <laughs> I'm really in pain you guys <laughs> let us know the springtime vegetable you're most looking forward to getting fresh
3: oh that's a good question okay there's a few I mean, I'm really excited. Uh, I, I mean, I love ramp season. I do, um, and that was that was a very exciting thing that we got last year. Were all these incredible ramps, and I just made like tons of ramp butter. Um, I think probably ramps. That would be that's nice. a great, great answer. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah. hel- I can't help myself.
2: <laughs> and Paige, where can our listeners uh find your store or shop online or follow you on social?
3: <gasps> that went so fast! Okay. My uh the shop is Archistratus Books and Foods. The Instagram and uh, Instagram handle is underscore archistratus underscore. There's archestrat.us. We're probably on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and we're in Greenpoint. Right, 160 Greenpoint. Huron Street off of the Greenpoint Avenue G.
2: Awesome. Um, thanks uh, to Armin Spengen, our amazing sound engineer. Thanks to the Red Crickets for our theme song, Blind. Uh, as always, you can reach us by email, yfood@heritageradionetwork.org. at heritageradionetwork.org. You can reach me via my spice company, Burlap and Barrel, at Burlap and Barrel on Instagram.
1: And you can find me on social at Foodie in New York.
2: And most of all, thanks, Paige, for joining us. This was such a great conversation and uh, looking forward to seeing you soon.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It's really been so much fun.
1: All right. Bye, everyone. See you next week. WhyFood is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter.